Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Right, um, this is a parable. Um, Now, just a quick word about parables. Parables are stories, which was one of Jesus' commonest um, teaching device. Why why stories? I I think it's really lovely stories. Stories are a very indirect way of communication. It's like, it's not like um, uh, going up to Chris and saying, Chris, you have messed up. You're a sinner. You need to repent. But you're forgiven. No, it's, it's much more indirect. It's much more subtle, isn't it? Because a story invites you to put yourself in the story. And, it, and it's intriguing because it's, it's trying to draw out your reaction to the story. Um, and this, like many of Jesus' parables, has a very clear, straightforward meaning, but it's also got universal principles. The straightforward meaning, I think you hopefully have got from those two readings, it's very, very straightforward. And it, in our Mark 1, it says the Pharisees knew that Jesus had told the story to get at them. They knew what it meant. Because they knew Isaiah 5. Because Isaiah 5 says the vineyard is the, the, this, is the house of Israel. It is the people of Israel. So Jesus is saying, you people of Israel are like this vineyard. I'm going to tell you this story about. So it's very clear and, and straightforward what this parable meant in its context. But I want to draw out from you four observations about vineyard, this vineyard parable, which are applicable to us today just as they were to those listeners 2,000 years ago. First thing. First thing about this parable is, when you plant a vineyard, you do it for a reason. Very simple. You plant a vineyard to get fruit from it. You don't, you don't plant as a pretty garden just look for, to look nice and have people smell the flowers and stuff and admire the lovely colours. A vineyard is to produce fruit. And that is the total purpose of a vineyard. I want to make a few observations about these four different things. This is, this is a fact. God has a purpose with us which is to produce fruit. So there, there is... There is, a, there is a lie that goes with all these four things. The lie is you can be a Christian without behavior change, without action. That faith is enough. If you just believe the right things and say the right words, you're saved and you're right. That is a lie. There's nothing in the Bible that supports that view. The Bible says if you believe the gospel, your heart is changed. You're changed from the inside out. You have new desires, new longings, new love for God. Your heart is changed and you become a different person. You behave differently and you do different things. That is the truth of the gospel. The gospel is not... Um, the, the law wasn't, wasn't, um, wasn't brought, it wasn't abandoned because its aim was wrong. Its aim was for obedience. The law is given so that people will obey it and do it and so glorify God. But that hasn't changed. Grace comes because the law doesn't work. It's no good. It will never work. You've just been t- try harder. 
Behave differently. Stop swearing. Go to different places. Wear different clothes. Change your language. All of those rules are not going to change your heart and your, and your, way, your way of living. It's grace that changes your heart, but it does change you. You have to bear fruit. Those awful words at the end of Isaiah 5, where God says, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, my vineyard, you are my vineyard. I looked for righteousness. I looked for justice. And what did I get? Bloodshed. I looked for righteousness and an outcry. The heart of God, longing for fruit from his vineyard, appalled by the, 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 uh, the abuse of, of his gifts. So, first question. I want to ex- examine yourselves a little bit. What is the fruit of your life like? Is your life characterized by, for instance, complaining or thankfulness? Is your life characterized by appreciating and worshipping God or complaining against the deal he's dealt you? Or is your heart attitude to God basically indifference and coldness or is it ravished love? So what is the fruit of your vineyard like? God would look into your hearts and say, what is the fruit that is coming out of your life? Second observation about this vineyard, this vineyard parable, is actually the the key issue in this vineyard is it's a a power struggle. Who owns the vineyard is the key question. It's quite clear the man has a vineyard. It's his vineyard, but he hands it over. He lets it out to tenants who become stewards of his vineyard. But it's his vineyard. But you see what they do. They reject all the messengers. And they finally, when they see the sun coming, they say, ah, this is our chance. If we kill him, then we get the inheritance. We get the vineyard. So this is a power struggle. And that is going on in our hearts all the time. This power struggle is who owns me? So my second question to you is, who is the owner of your life? There's a lie here. There's a lie here that says you can become a Christian, be a Christian, believe the right things, and yet retain control of your life and destiny. And it's a total lie. There's no such thing in the New Testament. A Christian is someone who is owned by Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. It's really simple. And it's really obvious, actually, that you're not your own. You didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your educational system. You didn't choose your friends. All the things that influenced you and changed you. Your job, your gifting, your abilities. You didn't choose any of those things. They were given to you. Someone gave them to you. A gracious father in heaven gave them to you. And although you rejected him, he died on the cross for you. He paid the purchase price for you. He owns you. And being a Christian is just agreeing with that simple fact. It's surrendering to God. It's saying, yes, Lord, 
That's what we were doing a little bit in communion, wasn't it? As, as Chomo was encouraging us. When you're, when, you're, when you're taking communion, you're reinforcing this thing. God, I belong to you. You're my life. You're the one who strengthens me. Without you, I'm nothing. It's all about you, Jesus. So first thing about this parable is vineyards are for fruit. Second thing is who is the owner of the vineyard? The third thing is judgment is coming. All of these three parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke end with judgment. And it's the warning of God saying, if you do not heed what I'm saying to you, judgment is coming. It was a terrible day 40 years after this parable was written. Jerusalem was utterly destroyed. Its inhabitants were massacred. The Romans reduced that city, and it's said by one of the historians about Jerusalem, it says you couldn't even tell there had been a city there. It was utterly destroyed. So Jesus is saying, look, Pharisees, if you don't heed my warning, judgment eventually is going to come to you and you're going to be destroyed. And we need to hear the same message today. Because there is a judgment coming. There's a day when each one of us will have to give an account to this great God. Judgment is coming on our nation. I think COVID was a judgment from God. It was like a warning shot across the bows. It was saying, you're not in control of your lives. You think you are. You think you can plan your futures. But no, one little virus thrown into your nation two years later, our whole lives have been changed. And now we're hitting further economic crisis. Maybe terrible things are coming for our nation. But all of those things are insignificant compared with what is coming for every one of us. If we don't bear fruit for God, if we don't have God as our owner, if we're not thoroughly saved, there is an awful prospect of judgment, of being cut off from God forever, of hell, punishment. So the third lie is God's merciful and it's bound to pan out all right in the end. He's a good guy. It's God's, it's God's job to forgive people. It's a lie. It's not God's job to forgive people. God is a God of justice. God will deal with every man according to his works. It's not works that gets you right with God. It's nothing you can do to get you saved. But when you are saved by faith, you produce fruit. You own Jesus as your owner and you escape the judgment. Bear fruit, new owner, judgment's coming. Fourth thing I want to say is grace. Grace is flowing throughout this parable. You see, the, 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 the lie is God is a nasty God. How dare he judge me? How dare he dare to threaten me? How, what right has God to judge me? That's the lie. But it's a lie. Because God has every right. And just, just think for a moment of the, the way grace is, is poured out through this parable. First of all, God plants a vineyard and he invites tenants to come and share his work producing a, a harvest, a fruitfulness. That is an amazing mercy. Why didn't God just do it? Why doesn't God just sort it all out? No. In grace, he calls us to work together with him. That is grace. 
And then if you go through the parable, he sent, got the, 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 the master of the vineyard, he sends messenger after messenger after messenger. One of the, um, I think it's Matthew, says, and he sent many more messengers. And they still didn't listen to him. I wonder how many messengers God has sent to your life. And how are you responding to those messengers of grace and mercy? And finally, of course, it comes to the master of the vineyard sends his only beloved son. And that's what God has done, isn't it? Yes, messengers are great. And yes, we are, we are accountable for the way we've used the messengers and the messages that have come to us. But the main thing that we're accountable for is what have we done with Jesus dying on a cross for me? And that's not the end of it, is it? You don't see it actually in the parable, but we know the, the back story. Because the parable ends with when the son is cast out and killed, judgment comes. But in our case, the son is cast out and killed, and still we have the offer of mercy. And each one of us here are presented with this incredible offer of mercy. Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose again from the dead for me. He opens his hands wide for me. His salvation is free. It's for everyone who hears it, everyone who listens, everyone who accepts it is saved by grace, through faith, forever. What an amazing mercy. The lie is that grace is just a plaster, sticking plaster to forgive your sins and God's a nice chap and he's, he's going he's gonna to look after me and, and sort out my mess. Uh, but it, it, it's not, it's not that's not entirely true. Grace is a force, a power that when you receive it, it transforms your life. It transforms your heart because uh, that's what Christianity is. It's a heart change. Yes, I'm saying that you need fruit. But it's not outward things that God is looking for. It's inward change which results in outward fruit. It's a new heart when you're born again. You get a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to Jesus. And out of that, you love God and you serve him. And he's the owner of the vineyard. And when you bow the knee to him and own the simple truth that he's made you and he's redeemed you, then you're just in tune with God and you love your owner and you'll do anything for him. And you're not afraid of judgment because the son, the son who was the one who came and died, who was thrown out of the vineyard, is my salvation. It's because the son came and died that I am free. It's because he came and died that I am forgiven. Amazing grace. And we receive the grace of God. Hallelujah.